Well, we're going to dive into our message right now. If you happen to bring your Bible along, we're in 2 Peter 1, verses 12 to 21. The, the words of that passage are also in your program this morning, and they'll be on the screen for you as well. I, um, I want to invite you to pray with me this morning. This, this is actually a fantastic passage about how Peter was writing to a group of Christians in Asia Minor. And they were struggling. They were going through a rough time, uh, persecution uh, as Christians. They were falling away a little bit, getting a little bit more reluctant to be devoted to Christ. And as we're going to read, there was a threat of them being separated from the message of Christ, from the Word of God, from the Bible. And so Peter writes to encourage them strongly. Don't allow that to happen. Stick with the word. It's the source and the strength of your faith. So let's pray, and then I'll dive into what Peter has to say to this beautiful group of people. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them, and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory, as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. So Peter's saying there, um, I think I'm soon going to die. And in case you don't know about Peter's death, he was crucified, as history tells us, upside down because he didn't want to be crucified in the same position that his Savior Jesus had been crucified. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure... You will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased." And that is a reference to the transfiguration. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. In other words, until your faith strengthens and grows and you, you understand the light of the gospel. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. All right, if you want to grab your notes, please do so. They should be in your program folder. So I mentioned this group of people that the Apostle Peter is writing to. And, and let's recall a little bit about Peter himself. Peter was that disciple that was constantly jumping into the middle of conversations. He was very impulsive. At one point, he draws his sword because 
he, he thinks he's going to have to defend Jesus and, and cuts off an ear and then Jesus by a miracle has to replace the ear and heal it. That is this man. Maybe some of us can relate to that impulsivity that Peter had. Peter was also the disciple, you may recall, if you've heard this story before, that denied Jesus three times. And after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus met up with Peter, and in the same number of times Peter had denied Christ, Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? Do you really love me? And he says, he said to Jesus, Jesus, you know everything. You can see right into my heart and into my mind. You know all things. You know, Lord Jesus, that I love you. That's the author of what we're about to read. Peter went on to become one of the leaders of the early church. It's he who preaches on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descends on all the apostles. And it's him who, along with Paul and the others, they become close friends and partners in the ministry of being a missionary, going out and sharing this message. And if you heard what Peter was saying, you can tell just how critical, how vital he feels that for the, the, the Christians of Asia Minor. Now, this letter was probably written in the mid-60s, maybe even close to 70 AD. This has been... 35, 40 years since the crucifixion. Peter is still out there. He's still sharing the gospel with people. He sees his own death coming up. Death that would happen because the Romans didn't like this message of Peter or Paul's because it detracted from their claim that the emperor was God. Peter and Paul lived in a polytheistic world. They lived in a world where there were many gods, but in the Roman Empire, the big cheese of all the gods was the emperor. And anyone who detracted from worshiping the emperor could soon find himself a political prisoner, could soon find his property taken away from him, his family alienated from him. Thus was the power of the Roman Empire at that time. So here's Peter, maybe under arrest, and that's why he's saying my life might be ending soon, or maybe he's just feeling the weight uh, of that suspicion from government officials that he is preaching a God other than the emperor. And so he's living, and life for Peter, is feeling shorter and shorter. Life for Peter is feeling harder and harder. And you can imagine well how it might feel hard and about to end to Peter because of the circumstances that I just laid out for you. But let's be real. Those circumstances of life being hard while we're here, those circumstances of even if you live to 70, 80, or 90, well, uh, it seems shorter and shorter as you get up there. Maybe as a, a youngster, you thought, wow, I've got forever in front of me. And then when you get 
along about my age, you start to say, mm, maybe not forever. Maybe there is a limit to my life. And wow, did that go fast. You say that a lot. Wow, did that go fast. And so Peter is really saying, this is not just a Peter problem, this is a human problem. Life is short, and that short life is often difficult. And, and we, can, we can really relate to that because often even in our culture these things are said. Now, Peter goes one step further. He says, this, this of all the solutions in a polytheistic society where the emperor was to be worshipped, Roman gods were to be worshipped, the empire stretched to, to other nations where their gods were worshipped, Peter looks at this and he says, guys, do you get this? There's no more sensible solution to the difficulty and the shortness of our life than this message right here of Jesus Christ. Think for just a moment about the central truth of this book, which is that God sent his son to be the Messiah, the Savior, and he died as a sacrifice for our sins. And then what happened? Three days later, we just sang it. He rose again. He's alive, right? So here's what I want to do. I want to show you that this is beautiful. It's a beautiful message because it's a solution message. Will you write this down, point number one in your notes? Why should I trust the Bible? Number one is because it's the most sensible solution. And we'll talk about what it is the sensible solution for in just a minute. But look at this quote. Go, let's, yes, let's look at this. So this is what Peter says to say, this is a sensible solution. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth. Look, I've already told you this is, the solution to the, to the issue of a short, hard life. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside. My life is short, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Peter is saying, don't forget don't forget, when life gets hard, when life seems to be shorter and shorter, you have to be able to remember these things. All right, let's put the next quote. This is straight out of our culture. You've probably heard this statement before. You may have even said it as a joke to someone in a conversation. Life is hard, then you die. Anybody here ever said that? Well, I, I've got another thing that you can add in there because he actually also said, then they throw dirt in your face. Yikes. This is what much of our culture thinks about things. And, and honestly, this is a beautiful dovetail with the Christian message. And it's a wonderful touch point. You have friends who are not believers. And, and so when they, you know one of, of amazing loves great values. So we have these seven values, grace-oriented. I won't go through all of them with you, although 
If you want to memorize them, then I have a little acronym. You can come up after church, and I'll tell you the acronym, and then you can memorize these seven, these seven values. But one of them is biblical. And, and when you have statements like this out and about in our culture, you know that this is a great touch point. Because it, it, it tells us that there are others, even apart from the Bible, even apart from Christianity, who get that life is hard and, and life is short. And so what are they doing about it? What are they doing as their remedy? Well, just as in the Roman Empire, we've got remedies today. I'm from Arizona. We have the beautiful Sedona. Anybody here been to Sedona before? Right. How many crystal shops did you drive past? right? And this young lady is situated, calming herself, meditating in what's known as a, anybody know the name of this place? It's a vortex. And a vortex is thought by many people who call themselves spiritual, that it's a place of great spiritual energy. That if you just put yourself in that physical location, you will be spiritually strengthened against the troubles you're facing in life. You'll be given peace and calm. And, and you'll recenter yourself in this short life. Because if life is short, then what should we be doing? Enjoying every minute of it. Even the Bible talks about let's eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. Now, I could go on and on with loads of pictures about ways, ways, other ways than the Bible that people, they, they try to solve this problem of life being hard and short. But this is the most sensible solution. I told you, I promised you that I'd go into Psalm 119. So go back. Psalm 119, written maybe a thousand years before Christ even came, and, and look at what the psalmist writes. He says, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I am a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. Notice this. How does he regard this life? Well, it's, it's hard. It feels strange to me. Why, why is it so hard? And this is not my real home. I'm only a guest, a stranger here. Heaven is my home. So, God, since this is the case, I'm a stranger on earth. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. In other words, the word is such a critical help to us. The Bible is so important for us to never forget, as Paul says. Here's what I want you to, to write down. The Bible is the most sensible solution to the problem of a short and often difficult life. We're going to come back to this point in, in point three, but here's what I'm going to suggest to you. If the question is, why should I trust the Bible? And if Jesus Christ the Son of God is suggested as the solution to a hard, difficult, even Jesus himself said it, right? In this world, you will have trouble. And he's the solution to the door that goes, he is the door himself to the next life. If, if that's the case, 
then what should happen is what he's telling us is true. And as we go through this short and difficult life and approach our own death, we should be able to sense the truth of that. I call it the tire test. And maybe you've heard me talk in a class or something about the tire test. In order to prove whether you're buying a good tire for your car, a reliable tire for your car, you don't typically go to the tire store with some sort of test tube scientific kit to test the rubber and the, and the belts and all of that. The way to know whether you've bought a good, reliable, solid tire, how, how do you find that out? Well, you buy a set of tires, you put them on your vehicle, your car, your truck, your van, and you start driving. And if they really are reliable, what happens? They prove reliable. They don't blow out. The tread lasts for a good long time. And what I'm here to say is sometimes people want the, the Bible to be able to be scientifically tested before they'll buy it. Prove to me, show me, and then, and then I'll believe in the Bible. But that's not how it works. It's not show me and then I'll believe. Jesus works in reverse. He says, take this, put these on in your life, live your life according to these promises, live your life according to this wisdom and guidance and law, Believe, and then I will show you. And isn't that what you do when you buy tires? You hear the salesman's pitch. He tells you about these, these beautiful Michelin tires, and you believe him, have him put the tires on your car, and the tires show themselves to either be reliable or not, right? I've actually experienced this. One time I bought tires that a salesman pitched to me, and three out of four of them blew out. Guess what? I soon learned those tires are not reliable. This is what Peter is saying. Plug God's word into your life. Don't just listen to those promises. Trust them. Trust that the resurrection is real, that its power is real, that the renewal it brings you now is real, that the renewal into eternal life is real, and God will show you. Believe and I will show you, God says. All right, here's number two. Why should I trust the Bible? Because it is an eyewitness account. Oh, did I give you the final fill-in? Let's go back. Number one, the Bible is the most sensible solution to the problem of a short and often difficult life. And I'm making the tech guy's life difficult and maybe shortening it too by hopping all around. All right. Now, number two, why should I believe the Bible? Because it is an eyewitness account. Let's go back to that second uh, section of Second Peter. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories. Th this didn't pop up out of our imagination. We're not fiction authors. When we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And again, as I told you earlier, it, it, he could be talking about a lot of things, but he chooses one example. He chooses that time when Jesus, when his glory was allowed to peek through. It's like for a moment, Jesus said, pull back the veil, let them see me for who I really am. 
and it was the transfiguration. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So this is Peter basically saying to us, look, I saw this with my own two eyes. I, this, didn't, this was not some sort of telephone game. You know what the telephone game is, right? Where one person tells it to another, who tells it to another, and by about the fourth or fifth person, the message is already completely changed. Peter says, what I'm writing here, I saw it with my own two eyes. I heard it. You can trust my account because I was an eyewitness. And, and therefore, um, I feel pretty strongly about this. I want you to trust that it's reliable. Again, let's go back to Psalm 119. I have sought your face with all your heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. Though the wicked bind me with ropes, I will not forget your law. How dedicated is this guy? I don't care if they arrest me. And, and this may even be a prophetic reference to the fact that often when people were crucified, they weren't just hanging there by the nails because the nails couldn't sometimes support the weight of that person. So they would often also bind their wrists around the crossbars of the cross to help hold them in place there. What is this man saying? He's saying, this is how bought in I am to this message. Again, a thousand years before Christ, now Peter comes along and says virtually the same thing. No one is ever going to shake me from this. And Peter, by the way, was not the only eyewitness of God's glory, was he? Go back to the first author of the Bible. Do you know who the first author of the Bible was? The one who wrote the first five books called the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus? A gentleman named Moses. You may have heard of him. He saw God's glory. Remember the burning bush? Remember God's command? Take your shoes off because this is holy ground? He saw God's glory. David one of the major authors of the Psalms, now we're, uh, as, as we've been saying, you know, still centuries and centuries, 10 centuries before Christ, he saw God's glory often in the events. Uh, he saw God fulfill his promise to bring the Israelites a great kingdom. For, for him, he was prophesied by Samuel to be the king. All these things that God promised him happened, he saw God's glory. And, and, and so... All people, and, and guess what? You too in your life. You're eyewitnesses. First of all, because you use your eyes to read this, but secondly of all, because when you read this, remember the tire test, you begin to see God's glory in your life. You see these words and promises fulfilled in your life. You, you understand that God's guidance is, is wise. You come to believe that Jesus is not just the Savior, but my Savior. My guilt and my shame 
are gone because he hung on the cross to take it away. Michael Lycona is an author who writes about the resurrection of Jesus. Look at what he says. After Jesus' death, the disciples endured persecution and a number of them experienced martyrdom. The strength of their conviction indicates that they were not just claiming Jesus had appeared to them after rising from the dead. They really believed it. They willingly endangered themselves by publicly proclaiming the risen Christ. Have you ever thought about this? Now, if you were making up cleverly invented stories, and everywhere you're, you're, you went, your already tough life just got all that much tougher because you're spreading around your cleverly invented stories, as Peter calls them? At what point do you just go, this makes no sense? What I, what I made up is pure fiction. Why am, I, why am I destroying my own life by spreading fiction? And if you didn't get there just for whatever reason, because of the persecution that came with those cleverly invented stories, would you not at some point before you were hanging upside down, crucified on a cross, say, okay, oh, okay, guys, you know what? I made that up. It was all a lie. I always wanted to be a, a novel writer. So I, I wrote a novel and then I passed it off as if it was true. It's not real. Would one of those 12 have not broken over that? But, but they all went through horrible struggles in life and were eventually killed because of the message, except for John the Apostle. Who does that unless it's the truth and they so firmly believe that it is the truth? No one does that kind of thing. At least, I don't think so. It would be utterly ridiculous. So these, Peter is telling us, are eyewitness accounts that we, all 12 of us, and, and beyond that, we have other Christians who went through horrible things because they too believed and spread the message. And we're willing to die for it. The most horrible death, crucifixion. We stand on that. Will you write this down? The Bible is an eyewitness account that comes from people who willingly died to speak Jesus' story of grace. So why believe the Bible? Why should I trust it? Number one, you're going to find through the tire test, it is absolutely the most sensible solution to the difficulties and shortness of your life. Number two, you're going to see this is an eyewitness account made by people who were willing to die for their eyewitness account. And here's number three, because its message is completely reliable. Let's look at that second Peter reading. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. This is what Peter, after all of his experiences, including the tough experiences, the persecution, this is his conclusion. Remember, he's near the end of his life. This is 35 or so years after Jesus is crucified, after they followed him for three years. 35 years of experience living in the Christian message, and what does he say? 
It's completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. You, you going through dark times right now? God's already provided you with a flashlight. No, God's already provided you with a spotlight. Pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. Who goes into a pitch dark black place and puts their spotlight down where they can't find it? Peter's saying we don't do that. Pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This can actually mean two things. Until your faith is strong enough to feel the way we do about it, that it's completely reliable, or maybe even more importantly, until Jesus returns and ushers us into that place called heaven where it's always light. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will. So Peter earlier said it was an eyewitness account, but now he's saying it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Every word of, of the Bible is actually written by God. But prophets through humans spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is God's word to us, Peter says. If you count God to be reliable, then what he says, what he promises, he will do because he is faithful. He is reliable. You can trust the Bible because these words are not merely human words. That's a big argument in today's culture, by the way. Isn't this just a human book, fallible, sinful human beings? Well, if you believe the claim of Peter, if you believe the claim of other places in the Bible, this is not just a human document by any means. Take a look at the psalm once again. Again, the statutes you have laid down are righteous. They are fully trustworthy. Your promises have been thoroughly tested. Look, this is not something we're saying without putting it to the test. I'll bet in your own life you have tested God's words and promises. And your servant loves them. Trouble and distress have come upon me because that's how life is. But your commands give me delight. And they still give us delight when we rest in them and when we come to them. Augustine once wrote this, Church Father, God has made us for himself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. God's word is the solution to dark times because without God, our hearts are always going to be restless. We're built for God. We're built, the Bible says, for eternity. And until we find our way to God and find our way to the path to eternity, which is Jesus Christ, your heart will always be restless. Your heart will always be missing a key puzzle piece. And, and just like any time when you're trying to build a puzzle and there's one piece missing... I know I feel restless. I'm like, where is that puzzle piece? 
And if it's my grandkids, all the grandkids are all hands on deck and we are all searching for that puzzle piece because grandpa's heart is restless without that puzzle piece. So many people are trying to go through a life that's already difficult, a life that's already short, and they have a missing puzzle piece in their heart, namely God, namely Jesus. And of course they're restless. And insofar as we as Christians, we fail to remember, as Peter said earlier, that we have that piece. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't want my grandkids to win the puzzle. Did you know you can win a puzzle by putting the last piece in? That's how you win a puzzle. So sly grandpas take the last puzzle piece and put it in their pocket. It's kind of cheating. Here's the last puzzle piece, right? Don't forget that you have Jesus in your pocket at all times. And you're in his pocket because he's the one that brings you peace through his forgiveness. Here's, here's what I want you uh, to write. The Bible's message is completely reliable. And this is especially true, especially when we need it most, especially during those dark times of our life. All right. Practical take-home from today's message. Um, put that picture slide up. In the Bible app, why is the Bible important for me is a five-day devotion plan. Five days. I'm only asking for a commitment for five days. Now, here's what I don't want you to do, underlining the word don't. If you have already downloaded the Bible app, don't go directly to the Bible app and look for why is the Bible important to me because... There's a link. Go forward to the um, next step. This link. And it's also in here. You don't have to even write it. On the growth group side, the link is right here. The cool thing is if you go to this devotion in the Bible app, which you don't even need to have the Bible app on your phone yet, if you just put this in your search, in your web browser, it will take you to this five-day reading plan. What I want to do is try a little experiment together. If you go in through this link and accept Julie's invitation to join our Bible reading plan, you'll not only join with us in doing the Bible plan together, but each day you'll be offered an opportunity, which you can stay silent, or as in growth group we say, you can pass, it's fine. But some of us will be writing on there our observations about the day's devotion. And it would be fun if a number of us here, don't just wait for Dustin and me to do it, like get on there, read the day's devotion, and share any observations or thoughts you have. You know what, we've done this uh, before in other churches I've been at. It is so cool to be able to see each other's thoughts while reading this devotion. Remember, it's only five days. It starts tomorrow. I'll also email you the link this afternoon, but you can just put it in your web browser. It's not that long. All right, that's your challenge. Join us in the five-day Bible reading challenge. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much that you've given us this book, the Bible, your word, and it is faithful and it is reliable. It's an eyewitness account of all the things you've done to save us, to forgive us, 
to bring us to life eternal. Lord, help us to trust it and cling to it and never forget it through all the ups and downs of life. Lord, we know life is short. We know life is sometimes hard. But you have given us the best tool in the whole toolbox, the most reliable tool that we can lean into when we're going through this short and sometimes painful life. Lord, lift our hearts up to you through your word. In Jesus' name, I ask it. Amen. Let's join in the words of the Apostles' Creed and confess this Christian faith that we have. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.